Hello and welcome to the Three Musketeers podcast. Introducing the brothers behind it, Hamid and Hissam Amiri. Join them on their journey as they discuss unconventional topics from different perspectives. Real experience with key speakers around the world. There you go, we're live now. But we're not technically live. We are live on the world of... It is recording. It is recording. We're live on the world of podcasts. All right. So it has been a week, 10 days, 18th is launched, eh? Yeah, Thursday last week. Yeah, so 10 days exactly, today. Mm. Tomorrow on Radio 4, Book of the Week. Yep. Um, how does it feel and how has the response been from people? How does it feel? So it still feels unreal. Uh, I don't think I expect it to be as amazing as it has been. I mean, I start writing a, and I'll cover it in a bit. For me, I knew we had to write it, but I never imagined what would happen when it's completed. You know, we had the crazy dream to be exposed to millions of people and the thousands of people, but I could never imagine what that feel like. So it's been weird seeing that because there's no prepared for it. But is the response strange from people saying, oh, wow, never knew this. Wow. I think there's two sides. One is the not knowing. One is how it relates and resonates to people in different ways. So if you're a parent, they see that they're, you know, the mum and dad sacrifice. If you've got a sibling, they see the sibling love. Uh, if you've got you know, if you've been, been affected by COVID-19, you see the NHS. And that's the beauty of it. I think he talks about different point, different points across the book and it resonates differently. That's true. Cause when you were doing refugee week, somebody said, how does it feel like at the age of a six year old? Now me going back or you going back, you never thought, Oh, how does it feel like being a 10 year old or seeing a 10 year old go through what you go through? No, no. Because during the time, it was just... It's your life. It's your life. Yeah, yeah, you, you live through it. Yeah. What's, what's different is when you look back and you reflect, is what I said to you before, is when you when I'm reading the book as a write, as a reader, and I'm reading about these characters. So I'm reading about Hamid, I'm reading about you, big bro, mum and dad. And that's when you realise, oh, that actually wasn't normal. And that's crazy. And that, whoa, that was a really close call. How is he staying sane? You know, how are you staying calm? How is Big Bro not showing any signs? That's a bit surprising. So there's a lot in the book which is not mentioned because um, it's 80,000 words. Yeah. Um, so there has to be part of it which has to be simmed through. Um, so Russia, um, it wasn't just a chapter in real life. No, Russia was, was a was a few, few months. Few months. Yeah, I mean, we learned a few Russian words when we were there. I think we learned more than a few. By the time we left, I think we could get by. Yeah, speaking Russian. Um, I think what I didn't cover too much in, in in Russia. We went out after a while. We started going out, you know, on regular basis. And Russia is quite. You could feel people. Look at you differently. Yes, because this is 2001 we're talking about as well. This so is, there's less. Yeah, this is two, two, 2000, 2001. 
but you go mum with a scarf. You go, all three of us were dark features. Obviously, dad blended in because, you know, of dad life. Yeah. Features. And none of us had Russian hats. So you stood out if you don't have a Russian hat in Russia. Yeah. But, no, but, <laughs> but not only that, though, like we, it, you know, that weather wasn't for us. So yeah. we all, you know, we, our mum were wearing two pairs of socks, you know, two, two trousers, two, two this, two that. Um, yeah, Russia was a horrible place for a child looking back. Do you have any specific memories? Do you remember the apartment flats in Russia uh, where you go meet the smugglers? So I remember I remember the, the apartment we stayed. Yeah. You had, a, you had a lift that smelled of weed, if I'm being polite. Yes, probably weed as well, but we didn't, I didn't know what weed smelled like, so... That even, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then you had, you had a, and it's in the book. So we, I taught, I mentioned the, the huge metal door. That the prison out. gate door. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then you had two additional doors, or like yeah. the, you know, the apartments. And then each apartment had like really, really thick doors. Um, and honestly, the, where we stayed wasn't, you know, the, the top end of Moscow because those apartments, they were like rough apartments. I mean, if any apartment got two doors, it's not a safe place to live in. Um, yeah, and that's, get, that's before you get to the... I think even with a lift, you had to have a... There was, I think there was another... There was like another, two lifts, yeah, two yeah, lifts yeah. doors. There was, a, there was another pin or something you had to get. Um, but yeah, Russia was in a nice place. Three months you stayed there. Do you remember anything specific about Russia? Outside um, watching Kit, the TV show, in Russian? What do I remember from Russia? I think for me, you know, which obviously you slept through, was the um, the night that I I thought you were gonna get robbed? I didn't sleep through. I woke up. Yeah. So you there with the bat? Dad there with the saucepan? Was a saucepan? Was it that? I think it was a saucepan. And I just remember going, "I'm going back to sleep." Yeah, but if you <laughs> looking back, you were what seven? But yeah, yeah. six probably six months. So seven. you wouldn't know how to process that. And that's not me. You know, saying you couldn't, but you know, you're just you're a six, seven year old kid. You've just woken up like two, three a.m. in the morning. I think for me, I and I've, and I've put this in book. It stays with me because I remember, <laughs> I remember shouting help in the outside window, and then some of the neighbors responded. But then obviously, our, you know, our Russian was how to get by. I didn't really thought of the word. Um, we're getting robbed. Can you help us? We couldn't call the police because obviously we were illegal already. And <laughs> I remember just going, all right, two big Russian dudes are going to walk through. Because you see how big people are. Because you've, yeah. you've been there for a while now. And in my head, I'm like, two big people are going to walk in now. I'm going to somehow try to hit the knees and then go for the face. So it just played a scene in my head, visualizing how I'm going to try to track that. That's what saves me about Moscow. Is that the most scariest thing in Moscow, Russia? Or getting robbed? I think scary was that moment, the, the the that night. Yeah. Because I could just see the by the door. Obviously, if you read the story, you know what happened. Spoiler alert! Don't say. But that was the scariest. Where where we got robbed, and again without going too much details, and I've said it in in the in the radio interviews, that probably shaped my way of thinking for many years later, because it was a stranger. Was being nice, yeah. Um, moving on straight from Russia, 
we went to Ukraine and there were what we call at the moment now the mafia guy. Yeah. Um with a gun pistol or whatever it was. Yeah, so this is so we've done the jungle. We've done the jungle. That's the other side of the jungle. We're staying in the the all green all green all green apartment. That's that is what I remember. All green and cartoon network on the T V. I remember the all green. I, I th- and I think I've mentioned the book. I remember the all green. And obviously the guy comes up I don't know after only a few days. One longer than that. Yeah. And we straight away I think he was talking to dad explaining, you know, the the passports and everything. And again I don't want to you know give away the story. But there's when you when I spotted or I think we all spotted the gun. Yeah. Um and I just was like, Oh and there's something about him, like I think the word now I'd be using it, he had a swagger about him. The way he just looked like he didn't care. And obviously when you follow the story You realise you realise why he had no care. And it's the fact we've said you know, he's 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 mafia. Um so yeah, I think I don't know, you kind of feel like you you're in it, you live in it. You know, you you watch Kit, I think in my head, yeah. See this guy action you know, character, all that stuff, yeah. Then you almost get robbed, uh, almost get, you know, rushed into the house. Yeah. Then you get robbed. Then, you know, the, the jungle, stay in the barn, all that stuff. So I, I think somewhere along the way, and I think you, you mentioned that somewhere in an interview, I don't want to say it became of a game, but you had to almost treat like... It's you, like a big adventure. You know what was going on, but you couldn't... You had to make it to feel like a big adventure. Yes. To probably not lose the plot. Yes, that's true. Because um, further on, like the last stages, we talk about France and Calais. Mm. Um, Calais camp, there's, there's not that much in detail in there. But this was before Jungle, because it was the physical metal. Yeah. Um, do you, like One of the adventure games that I remember is that mountain by the France wing, we used to race up before before we literally tried to jump on the train. On the day, we were racing up and down the mountain to see who can go quickest to the top. That little hill. I don't remember that. It's literally next to the Calais camp. Oh, is that when we leave in or just outside? Just outside. Just outside in yeah, the daylight. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. that was the night that we left Calais camp, first attempt. Well, you talk about the first attempt, and again, I don't know how much detail I've gone in the, in the book. But drama, there was tons of groups from many different backgrounds. Different, different yeah, there was different groups. Obviously, every traffic handler had their rate, and they were like, "I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you," and you just you just picked someone that you thought were the the, the right person. Yes. And I remember um, people getting caught, flashlights. Yes. And we all had to duck in like the motorway. No, 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 no. They're long grasses. Yes. Yeah. We had yeah. To duck, and you could hear. Another group, like 20 meters that way, getting caught. Another group here getting caught. I remember living that. But just saying, like, right now, I remember in those scenes, it's like what you see in the movies. Those um, long grass you see in the US movies, like the scary movies. But that's what we... Obviously, we were a lot smaller. But I remember... Yeah, looking back at it now, you're thinking, holy crap, that is a scary sight. Because you understand... The danger levels. Not that you didn't understand, you probably ignored it then. I think you just had to, you had to pretend it didn't exist. Because I remember running across the motorway 
in France in the middle and then yeah, duck and hide, in. and then hide between between the two um, metal um, um, sort of uh, barriers barriers yeah, yeah, yeah and then run across and then go into huge lorries containers with like 50 other people that was that's the second attempt yeah, yeah. and then go into different other containers and different yeah. other. the only scene I can explain this is like literally a movie of non-stop or one well, taken like when they're moving new stuff in the in a book that's mentioned I talk about we go into I think we were the, one of the last ones yeah, because we first container. Because when they opened up, we saw 40, 50 people. Yes. And then we were all, I think we were four, fifth group then as they were sort of checking out, you know, that they were taking them out and saying, you go here, you go there, you go there. But yeah, that's the thing. When you talk about it out loud, like I can visualize it. I remember that night crossing, there were like, um, concrete, concrete, um, sort of blocks. Huge blocks. The we, 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 we hid in the middle. Yeah. And there's no cars anyway. So I don't know why we were hiding. I, I remember what was really freaky is when we went legally back to France as a holiday. The first time. The first time. And driving on the motor and I was going, holy crap, we must have done this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause your mind just triggers off. And that's a bit is weird because you talk about, you know, coming back legally to France. Not just that, but just reflecting back. I've said this quote uh, somewhere else. If someone paid me a million pounds to do that again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bother. It's just not, obviously we had to do it. It's not something that you, you would take it lightly. It's last resort. No, exactly. Uh, it's like all options are out the window. This is your only option and you have to make it. Yes. And I think I had a question today talking about refugees, you know, um, how do you want to, the whole topic of refugees. And it's, it's the sentence you mentioned there is for us. I can, you know, say, I can't speak for everyone. So I'll give a personal, I'll give a personal perspective. For us, it was a last resort. Yeah. It's not, it's not an adventure like in Disneyland that you go, oh, let's all go legally across it. Cause the stories that you hear, people getting kidnapped, people missing, people getting killed in the jungle, people being peed on if you're on the lower tier of containers. Yeah. Yeah. But the, and it is mentioned uh, a chapter in there in Ukraine when there was, group of people um when i found out um one of the families they lost lost their daughter is sex trafficking and the thing is though if you're a if you're a family and you're a, you're a parent your mom and dad and we're none of us obviously are you know parents but imagine if you're a, if you're our dad right? and, and when i was younger i always wanted a sister i always wanted the older sister so i can go to her and not mum with my problem as I got older, I was a younger sister. Yeah. But I remember at that moment in that jungle, when I heard about what was actually going on, I was like, I'm lucky we don't have a sister. What are you going to do when the guy's holding a machete and says to a dad or a mum, I'm taking your daughter. And if you say no, you risk everyone else in your family. If you say yeah, you're in a way giving a, giving a daughter away the wrong word, but what other choice do you have? And that's horrible to be in that situation when you can't control it. No. And that's the bit is not mentioned on the news. And what what's crazy is now looking back and seeing sto- seeing or hearing stories, you think, holy crap, that could have been me. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when we were in France and there was a guy who had 15 attempts there was, a, there was an Indian guy who was 15 attempts. Yes, I remember that. Who 
you know, became friends with Dad, he had like six, seven, eight attempts. And you're right. He was there for a few months. And that's, you look back and you say, do you know what? We were actually, like, someone read the book, they go, wow, that was horrible. That was horrendous. When I read that, I said, wow, we were so lucky. That we made it. Yeah. Because I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah. Because I don't think many people know is in France, when we're just about to go on the train, if remember dad said if you you jump on the train and some like dad misses the train yeah literally go in there in the uk and say i lost my dad on the way and give your names and details so you were prepared in a way not as much as prepared as in go no i know we but could can you split. imagine you know, 10 11 7 6 mentally trying to prepare for that situation no looking back at it now i think no I think young Hassan was a soldier and super brave. This Hassan would back down and be like, no, I'm not. I think when you're forced into a corner and you have no other choice, your mind somehow takes over to make these decisions. Like Right now, logically, I wouldn't want anyone to be in a situation to tell your kids, oh, by the way, if you get in and I don't, you go on. And a lot of people have, people that I know, refugees uh, in in UK, in, in yeah, anyway, th- there's, they've there's, made it, they've separated. Yeah, there's there's many families which have split up. They don't know where the child is. They don't know where the parents is. And I think that's been missed in, I think when people talk about refugees, and I, again, it's a misconception, and I've seen it, well, maybe we'll talk about it in a different episodes, maybe not. They think that they want to come to UK to be on benefits, or... Why choose UK? Or, I don't know, tons of reasons. But when you talk about Outlaw right now, anyone who's sane would never want to put their child or their sibling in a situation where they say, by the way, if you make it, and I don't, you go. It's, it's, yeah, it's nothing It's normal. no game. Yeah. Um, not that moving on swiftly, but as you said, the book out and then the response is great. I think one thing which I got a lot, and you probably got it too, is that people are sort of surprised how we've come out at the end of it. Like, the ho- normal. as quote unquote bracket, normal, whatever normal is. Um, cause we are positive people, me more than you. Um, and people are shocked when they read that. They go, Oh my God. I thought about that. Because looking back now, when I read the book the first time, I was going, you know, the things that we've all seen. How on earth can you try to go back to a normal school, a normal playing football? Yeah. And what people see is you laughing, joking. It's almost like you... So there's two things in that. And that's the response I've given when I've thought about this. And I've thought about this long and hard. The question that I've asked myself is how that... Well, initially I thought that the journey didn't have an impact. And I turned out to be okay. And I'm double quoting here, okay. I think we were young enough to not let it impact us, but just old enough to understand why we're doing it. So if you, I, and this is, I'm just, it's a theory. I think if we were older, then it would have impacted us differently. I say that, but I'm going to, I'm going to contradict myself because I thought it didn't have an impact on me. But when I started writing the book, well, I kind of knew, but many years later. So you mentioned, Russia, you know, and that person was being nice, but then it was set up and, you know. Trust, trust in people exactly. became a lot harder. Exactly. 
But for me, it took me the whole secondary school, the whole high school to get over that. But I didn't know at the time. So my favorite, my quote, if anyone, if anyone asks me to describe your personality, I'd say I'm defensive. You could, could probably still associate that trait anyway. But when I was younger, I'd be like, yeah, I'm quite defensive and whatever. What I didn't realize when I went to school, day one, we've got a teacher saying, Hey, Hamid, how are you? How can I help you? In my head, a 12 year old at the time going, what the hell's your intention? So, you, yeah. So you didn't openly trust everyone straight away. No, but I don't think at the same time I knew I didn't know how I got. I thought that was just me. You thought that was a trait of you, not the something which yes. caused or affected that. Yes. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, that could be true because I remember primary school, um, psychiatrist speaking to me. Do you remember? Yeah, the lady. The lady. Um, the hippie lady. Okay. I, was, I knew you were going to say, I, I knew you were going to say I'm hippie. I know you were going to say hippie lady. Sophie weed. She did not offer me weed. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say hippie lady. It's, we call a hippie lady because she wore very funky clothes and had red hair. I think red or pink hair. She had red hair. She had loads of, um, like giant earrings. Giant earrings. And just like, it, she wore a rainbow skirt she, once. She was a happy chap. She was just, I think she was high. She, she, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember her say, do you want to talk about like what, what you, you what you went through? Yeah. What and did she say? No, because she failed after three sessions. She stopped after three times. So you're banging your head on a wall. Oh, was that? No. <laughs> and she was like, oh, okay. Uh, whenever you're ready. I think I'd probably something like that. Whenever you're ready to talk about it. But I think at that time, I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk about whatever. Because even when you went to school, you wouldn't openly say, I'm a refugee. Or I went through all this. No. It took a while to actually come up and say, I'm a refugee. I came here in 2001 and I did all, and I went through all this journey. Not that you were ashamed to say it. It was just the fact that you didn't want to openly talk about no, but it takes, everything. Yeah. Cause it takes time for you to accept it. It takes time for you to process it. So for me, the first time I start talking about our journey to a degree was in university. Yeah. Cause I think most people would be shocked. Like people from my high school, yeah, they my were. friends, like yesterday they came down, they were like, what? Like they did not know all this because there's never a. We weren't embarrassed about it though. No, I but it was embarrassment. But it was just something that made you, and you wouldn't want to be like, okay, I'm I'm made out of that. I don't want to talk about it. Because if you ever sat down and you probably people think you exaggerated things as okay, a child. Okay, so let me ask you a question. You, you know, we're talking about, and I had a question yesterday, and I had a question today about you know about, about refugee, and how do you change the perception? Because the perception isn't true, right? How do you change the perception? Now, I would say, I would say you share your stories. 100%. 100%. So let me ask a question. How would you, if you've come, you know, if say you did it, we're back in 2002. So a year later. Yeah. Okay. Would you share your story? I think as a child then, I probably wasn't in the right emotion state to talk about it. Or I wasn't mature enough to understand it. Because if I tried to do it then, or when we, whenever we tried when you were young, we, we still saw it as an adventure until we got older enough and go, it's a, yes. that was a dangerous shit that we did. I don't think it's just that though. I think it's also, it, it took me 
years to put them into words and to be able to describe them. Again, it probably goes back to the trust issue. Do you no, want to open I know it? that, but what I'm saying is, he said mature enough, there's that. But also, I think it just took me years to grow up, to reflect, and to actually be able to describe those emotions we went. Because if we're, you're almost in it. At that moment, even though you've done with the journey, ah, oh, there you go, that's probably what it is. So 2002, a year we've been into UK. Yep. The reason I wouldn't talk about it, because I still feel like I'm in a journey. Okay, I understand what you mean. So that challenge was to get to UK, but then was I having an internal battle challenge to work out who I am, where do I belong, am I accepted? And I think until you feel like you've been accepted, you can't open and talk about it. You can't it. talk because you're in it. Yeah. I, I, that's literally I right now, I'm having this revelation. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, that sort of makes sense. But I think it's it's only fair now to talk about it openly. Yes. I think every... And I had a question from someone where I was like, that's a really valid question. Talked about diversity, inclusion, BLM, um, and, and refugee. Like, you know what? How can you... What would be your advice? And I said, the first one is simply talking about it. Because by talking about it, so that book, right? Actually, put the book to one side. Talking about our journey gives a perspective to other people, but also allows them to ask a question. For example, and obviously the book covers it in, in detail, but let's say it didn't mention it. It just talked about we leave, we left home to get to here. Yeah? Someone can then say, oh, I read your book. Tell me why you left. And then I would say, this is why I left. Because there's, there's, yes, there will always be questions of things. Yeah, no, but that questions is what breaks the misconception of people going, oh, this, this, this about refugees, this about people. You've seen from... it already. You know, we can. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to mention. No, this is this, it's another for another show for another time. But, but as I said at the start, people said, "Wow, you guys are so positive. You guys are so happy. Um, you always to go back to schools." And talk, yeah. Um, try to educate kids. The question that many people have asked, or whatever, say, do you sort of advice, or do you see yourself as a motivational speaker now, or what do you give advice if people are feeling down in general? Because this is an example of a whole roller coaster of downs. And uh, I'm looking at you now. You look normal-ish. Yeah. Um, you seem happy even though you're not smiling at the moment that's just my face a very cranky face but is there any advice like because people have come to me and said what as in how do you look at life from a different lens because this is the worst lens you could look at one of the worst lens you could look at life and to still have hope dreams as a child as an adult and wake up with a smile on the face not you, I wake up with a smile on my face because yeah, those who work with Hamid Amiri, he, he's, a, he's, <laughs> he's a very grumpy person. So that's a very long, open question and it's got a very long, open answer. But first, let's, let's, let's break it down. Do you see yourself as a positive or a motivational speaker? I don't, li- I don't like to put a label. If I have to, yeah. that's what it'd be. If someone said to me, what do you do? And if I had to describe it, I'd be like, I, li- I literally want to... Um, what do you actually do? Spread the positivity. 
So you don't see yourself as those YouTube motivational people, those Americans. No. Do not give up. No. Can I do that? Yes. Related to my to our journey, because that's that's what it comes down to. I simply describe it as I go back to schools, universities, events, and tell people the do's and the don'ts. But do you have any? Let's just say any advice for people who are in a rut or feeling down. Because I I've heard on radio, you heard on radio, the questions f- for the people reading the book at the end. We're not going to talk about that topic. We're yeah. not experts today. One episode we will. But in general, if people are feeling down, do you have any advice? Because we, we, outside this book, we've all had our low moments. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I think you mentioned that you only tapped into it, failing A-levels. So, so for me, I don't know if when, when, you know, when I was, it was the journey, actually it probably was. So the, the, the first one, there's a lot of stuff, right? So one of them will be, one would be faith, right? Yeah. Knowing, knowing there's something after this, I think that has an impact on how you process stuff. For me, it is anyway. From your question, to make it a bit more, I guess, generic. When you're in that rut, we, we go through downtimes. We go through horrible moments. But what we tend to do as human beings, we want to forget about it. We want to lock them away. We don't want to ever think about that lowest moment you ever had. I started to process it differently over the years. So I remember the low moments. So if I'm going through something right now, I reflect back on my lowest moments. And I say, I've gone through that. And if I've gone through that, I can go through anything. This is nothing. So you say in the filter, they're happy, you know, waking up happy and smiling. You don't yeah, do I that. Don't. You yeah, don't do that. I don't. Look at a life with a positive view, right? It's still waking up, metaphorically. <laughs> it's still waking up being happy. But you know what I mean? You want to, I still want to help people. Yeah. I always look back and I say we went through that as a family and individually. Then that's not the only one though. I didn't look back my another lowest moment. I went through my A-levels. I failed everything. That's openly out there. It's it's an it's an no, article. No, what I haven't mentioned in a book that took that hit me very very low because I was competitive. I was a popular kid in school, being a troublemaker. I thought in school I earned people's respect, but it wasn't. It was probably fear because the way I was, the the, the people I hang around with, you know, they they still people that they're my you know they're my best friends and they always will be. But we had a rep of being troublemakers, so in my head I was untouchable. Until you got your... Until I got my use, and that went all the way to the lowest. I was embarrassed, I was ashamed, I was I was avoiding people trying to get hold of me to say, what are you up to, what are you doing? Because I couldn't bear to say to them, oh, by the way, I've got three use, I'm going to reset it. I remember Arjun was saying, saying I'm going to do my... I, I, I remember this, yeah. Average BNA, and you'll average my whole A-level. I, I remember this. That's how stubborn and how embarrassing it is. And without going to details, I managed to turn it around and get my degree. No, you can talk about that because there's a BBC article from 2017. No, I know, but when I when I when I witnessed Big Bro going for his operation and how he looked at life, so he had the exact same problems that I did, fitting in language, culture, weather, whatever you want to call it. But he also had, you know, a, a heart condition in a consultant's room, saying you got 60% success rate, and the rammer sitting there. Him smiling, 
saying I want to finish this, you know, get a job and, you know, get my degree, help NHS, do, whatever. Do all these crazy, oh, do all these crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I looked at myself, obviously without saying out loud, where I've been thinking of every other excuse, blaming everyone else, where me and him are exactly in both, but he's times 10 because he's got to deal with life and death. That's when he hit me. And obviously when he got me into university, because he pulled some strings, it was no longer about me, it was about him. It's almost like not laying him down. Yes. Do you think you, here's a question, and I thought about this, do you think you would have ever went to university if Hussein never went to university? If he didn't pull strings, I wouldn't get it anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. But in my head, I always thought if Hussein didn't, because that graduation, when we all went to the first one, Hussein yes, that said, sets... That sets the milestone, isn't yeah, it? We all got to do that. Yeah, of course And then you because did it we, somehow. Yeah, because we had... The thing is, us three, we had a competitive nature. Yeah. You were... Obviously, the... physically, you know, we knew Hussein couldn't do stuff because of his heart. But we had a competitive nature. And to be fair, you, he even even competed physically. Physically kicked your ass a few times. No, I know. But what I'm saying is, he, he, we were always competitive, healthy com- competition. So when he set the bar that... He not only went to university and graduated with his difficulties. You had to do it. Well, not only that, though. I think for me, I had to do it for him. I think what got me to my degree is more my brother's, more me not letting Big Bro down than me pursuing education. That's me being completely transparent and completely honest. And I can tell you right now, if he didn't go to university, I would have probably ended up in jail. We wouldn't have this conversation on a on no, a chair. No, that's the reality of it, and that's what so you then become grateful, and it's that gratefulness that I want to go back to school. I want to go back to university. No, I think in the story you touch about how close all three of us were, um, but in reality, there's no way of print like in words. No, because um, even when you start to go to uni and do your courses dissertation i went with you to uni libraries to study yeah um we draw we, we we pushed each other yes but when we ever saw each other fall or feel down we were there like i remember you sitting in the car trying to get to university you probably remember more on that rainy day when hussein is like talking to oh, i'm trying to think of her name that lady who fills the university forms this was before ucas and everything online you know what I'm talking about? No. Well, m- m- me going to university or you going yeah, to university? Yeah, you going to university. First day before, like, registering you in university. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, he was there. Like, we were all there. Yeah, and I think the, what it comes out in a book, but what he doesn't do it justice is actually the, the three of us. Yes. The thing is, like, I think Big Bro's condition pulled us together because we had to be there for him every time we had an episode. Every time he had a close call, almost like a, it's almost like a, a gravitas feeling. So you pull the whole family together because you have to get it, go through it together. The journey was another thing. But I think the way we were brought up by mum and dad, is there, is uh, there? And, I've, and I've said this, I would give my, my, my two arms and my two legs for anyone in my family, for big role for you and vice versa, I think. No, two arms. I'll give you one arm. Okay, but you know what I mean? I, I think without us knowing, we drove each other to success. But I think what I'm trying to get with 
that is also one of the things if any of us are feeling down without verbally we knew what to do as in to make sure to lift that person up the best we could all three of us i think had it yeah like i i remember the first time i got a job and then bristol bristol yeah and then i was let go after two weeks two days um three days <laughs> yeah and I, and i remember this catching a train being late the train was late i was really annoyed like no the fact that i was just told people oh i got a job after graduating and then hussein picking me up yeah from the train station he knew straight away because he was like oh what is your face like is a sad tomato and then you come in and then him come in giving the speech and i think that's what i'm trying to say is people who are in a rut make sure you like your core whether it's your family or friends yes to have a strong group around you is always yeah and i've, I've seen a thousand quotes you know you throw surround your people with positivity yes yes i think that's definitely key um can i remember where he lost his phone in the bus oh, yeah. <laughs> i uh, the first time he had a phone is the phone. is the nokia the new one which came out 3323 is the first like pre i have to google this the pre partial color nokia But, but what I'm trying to say is we I'm just looking back so when we knew one or other was really really down right we would give them the lecture yeah yeah and it didn't matter who we came from no I know that but then also we then caused a distraction all three of us clowned about as a distraction we still do even now like me and you still do that yes so we know mom and dad I go for something I just we just talk about random topic yes but what it does to the mind it distracts it but you know what you what you're doing I know what I'm doing but we don't talk about it I think no. that's no and I think for people who who are a bit don't want to physically talk about that they're going through something having people who know you around you is key yeah but what I found out when it came to them grieving that's going to be another topic no no I know but what I'm saying is you There's two things, right? You have to have the right people around you. But then sometimes it's easy to talk to a stranger. 100%. I think people so the professional help us help there. Yeah, if you don't, people... don't be embarrassed. No. I'm going to talk about my emotions. And that's, no. that's another thing. There's too much macho-ness in this world. Yeah, people people think talking about emotions makes you weak. But I only started to learn about myself, my weakness and my actually strength. when i openly talk about my emotions i think it's a process in life when you get older people go for a different thing yeah no isn't even even me or you you could say we're still learning how to talk more openly yeah of course because for you to come up and write a book it's you've done it you can't yeah, you can't be more open than no, this no and i've said this in in that book i talk about stuff that i thought i'd be taking to the grave with me yes but every time in my head When I was writing it, I was like, is that going to help someone else? If the answer was yes, I said, I have to put it down. I, that's almost me, me, me being insecure about it. What do you mean? I can't be insecure about my emotions. No. If it's going to help someone. No, and I think if more people talk about how mm. they're feeling, they'd be surprised how many other people who have similar thoughts or it's similar, just, similar struggles. It's the relatability. 
everyone goes through shit in different ways. Yeah. Excuse my language. There's been many previous. No, 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 but what I'm saying though is, you go through, we go through pain and experience it in different ways. But pain is pain. Pain doesn't have a label. No. But what I think for me, what worked is every time I go through something new, I look back and I say, "You've done this." So to your question, how you know someone who's going through it right now, right? Is this truly your lowest moment? Or you've gone through something else, you've locked it away? That's my question. If you've gone through it locked away, look back and say, that was me, gone through it, and I turned out to be okay. Yeah, so 100% I can go through this. Exactly. The other one is, if this is your lowest moment, know this is now your new benchmark. You will go through this. Because for me, my lowest moment was A-level. Yeah? But what changed for me in 2018 that became a new yes. But now every time I look back, is mm-hmm. I'm going, you went through this, you use those emotions to turn a negative into a positive. Come on, you're capable of anything. And that that gives you self-belief that you cannot I can't even describe it. I know, I know what you're trying to say. As in saying if you've you've done the lowest thing you can do, you're stronger than this. Yeah, mentally, you you can do this. Yeah, but when you talk about mental resilience, that's where it comes. That's out. what it is. When people say, well, you know, how do I become successful? How do I chase my dreams? In a magic pill, is look internally. So what about Limitless, the movie? That's fake. Just thrown out there. Mm-hmm. No, but th- that's what I'm trying to say. Is there's a very small percentage that become the millionaires? Yeah, or they actually achieve their dream. But people forget about the whole. Thing that millionaire person went to or what do they see now yeah but I guarantee you if you get someone here who's a millionaire and you've seen tons of them yes the, the likes of Steve Jobs the Bill Gates the, the um, Harrison Ford all those big people they say I had 50 quid Rocky another example I had 50 quid or 50 dollars whatever I went for one more thing I pushed on I had three jobs now you can't relate to them because you're like, oh, you, yeah, but you're a millionaire. You're going to say that. But the more you talk about it, and the more people realize it's in no magic pill. It's internally with you. Yes, life isn't meant to be easy. There's always going to be ups and downs in life. But you ex- accept it. Accept that right now, life isn't going to be easy. It's going to be ups and downs. But how much do you genuinely want it? And, that, and this is when it comes about motivational speaking and being those people. On, on, on YouTube. Yeah, I'm not trying to give a cheesy message, but the reality is, how much do you genuinely believe in it? So we believed in that we had to get to UK, right? Yeah. You mentioned earlier the close calls, the Russia getting, yeah. getting. Uh, I just touched a few. There's, there's thousands. No, I know. Did for one second you thought you're not going to make it? No, because you have that hope and that dream that yeah. you can do it. So what did you do? You filled yourself with that almost like untouchable, that whatever shit we face, we're going to get through it. Yes. Because I, I told you, it was like many scary moments, but I remember... So Okay, so my, so my question to you. So you've done that when you were seven or eight. I think people forget how mentally strong you are. As no, no, I know, but this is my thing. So you've, if you've done that, you're seven years old, yeah, you've managed to convince your mind, whatever I go through, I'm not going to break. You didn't cry. Along that journey... I didn't cry at all. That's that's on that's on the voice. No, no. What I'm saying though, in that no, journey, yeah. seven year old kid, you've seen all that. You didn't cry. So somehow you've said you've your mind gone. I can do this. 
block everything out, we'll get through this. So if you can know that you're seven years old, yeah, your mind isn't even mature enough yet. You've grown up, you've grown up, and now you're in your 20s. You're telling me you're not capable of saying, I've got this, I'm going to chase my dream, no matter what happens. That's my, that, that's a valid question. That, no, that's just very if true. If you can do it when you're seven, I'm sorry, if you're 20, of course you can do it. And that's what people need to realize is we're capable of so much more. We don't give ourselves enough credit. Like 2018 was a horrible year. It's the worst year ever. But when I look back, it's not even covered in a book. When I look back, how I how we dealt with it. It wasn't a normal way. How I, and I never forget our conversation. Me saying to you. No, as, as, as I said, that grief and thing, we will have to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but as you said, the, you can do anything um, if you put your mind into it. That's a, I know it sounds cheesy. But it's, it's true. If you put factual things, which it's in the book, or when you look back at it now, yeah. it's true. But as I said, having a strong foundation around you is key. Um, and people shouldn't be afraid to speak up. Yeah. And if we're going to... So let's end this yeah, with one of my cheesy taglines. Yeah. I'll, I'll decide when to end this, but go on. Okay. Reflection leads to perfection. I've reflected back in my time and what I've gone through to realize what I'm capable of. That doesn't, that doesn't matter where you've been. If you speak the language, the culture, the race, the religion, the gender, none of that matters. Everyone's got that mentality if they tap into it. If they realize the key is simply to look internally, process it, accept it and then chase your dreams wow we're gonna end it there i know you said a few words but it turned out to be a paragraph sorry but there you go thank you for listening to another episode of the three musketeers hosted by hamid and hissam amiri don't forget to share and follow as more thought-provoking episodes with guests around the world will be appearing soon see you soon